Hi, this is Lisa, and you are listening to I Love That Movie. This podcast is for movie lovers. It's not an unbiased opinion. It's not a straightforward review. It's just a couple people talking about a movie that they love. The format is each week I have a guest, and that guest and I discuss a movie that they love, something they're obsessed with, something they connect with. We'll talk about the plot, the director, and the actors, but we'll also talk about the personal connection my guest has with that movie. So if that sounds like something you want to listen to, keep listening. This is Lisa. Uh, you can catch up with me on Twitter. You can find me at ILTM Podcast. I'm also on Instagram at I Love That Movie Podcast. And we have a Patreon. Uh, the show is always free, but you can support us on there if you want. Uh, that's at patreon.com slash I Love That Movie, all one word. Um, and, you know, when you sign up, you do get a weekly bonus episode of just everything else I'm watching. You know, people ask, what shows are you watching? What movies are you watching? You know, what, what books are you reading? You can find all that on there, as well as extra bonus interviews where we talk about TV shows like WandaVision and Loki and, uh, you know, anything that happens to be coming out. Um, so I do want to take a moment to thank my top patrons, and they are Chris Balga, Jeff Whitman, Philip Barker, Michael Cross. Thank you guys so much for keeping the lights on. And if you like what you heard today, please subscribe and rate the show. It does help new listeners find us. Well, I've got an exciting guest. I've got a new voice on the show. I've got Robert Weatherwax. Can you say hi, Robert, first of all? <laughs> hey, how are you doing, Lisa? Doing well. Um, if you want, could you introduce yourself a little bit to the audience? Yeah, my name is, uh, you know, Robert Weatherwax. Actually, my full name is Robert Rudell Weatherwax. Uh, my middle name is after uh, my grandfather, who went by Rudd, who trained the original Lassie and and uh, all the subsequent Lassies. Most, and then, of course, my dad took over. My dad's name is Robert Walter Weatherwax. So I'm Robert Rudell. He's Robert Walter. So you can just call me Robert for the conversation purposes. But when I when you refer to my book, You'll see my Screen Actors Guild name, which makes it, you throw in another name, which is R. Rudell, separate word, R-U-D-D-E-L-L, Weatherwax. So it's basically my full name with the first name abbreviated to avoid confusion with my dad. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for for taking time out of your day to, to come on this show. Oh, sure. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Well, so if you haven't listened to the show before, typically... Uh, you know, my guest picks a film that they love. In this case, my guest picked a film that they love and that they're involved with. <laughs> so, so Robert, I love it what, even more because of that. Right? I mean, I would too. <laughs> uh, not many can say that. So, what what film did you choose to talk about today? Well, I, I've worked on many films, but I thought the most interesting, with probably the most, you know, compelling story, would be uh, Beethoven. With Charles right. Grodin and Bonnie Hunt. Yes. Okay. I remember seeing this in theaters, by the way. <laughs> I yeah, was little at the 92. time. It did. <laughs> yeah. So it's been a while. It's what, 20 years? 20 year, year anniversary. Right yeah. Now. It's been, wow. That's that's crazy, but but very accurate. Um, I'm I, sorry, 30 I, year. My bad. 30 years. Oh, you're right. You're right. I, yeah. I, I'm, you know, it's all starting to blend well, together. I'm old. But. So I was uh, 28 <laughs> when I did that movie. 
Oh, wow. That's that's so cool. I, I have to say, as a, as a person that grew up, you know, saw this in theaters and watched it many, many times, you know, thank you for, for being a part of a movie that so many people love. Yeah, it's kind of sad. I think we lost Charles Grodin not too long ago, too. Oh, rest in peace. Um, yeah. I do want to say, too, if you haven't watched the movie before, we may, you know, I, I don't know if Beethoven's the kind of film that, you know, you're afraid of getting into spoilers, <laughs> but... If you haven't watched the movie, I do recommend watching it first and then coming back to this conversation because we're going to talk about scenes and, you know, I want you to get the best experience with the film that you can. So if you have to pause, go watch the movie and then come back. Um, I'm not going to read a giant synopsis on this because it's pretty straightforward. Uh, basically, it's about a St. Bernard that becomes the center of attention for a loving family but must contend with a dog napping veterinarian and his henchmen. <laughs> absolutely mm-hmm. that was and, oliver platt and uh i'm trying to think of the other guy now but yeah the, the two bad guys and then dean, yeah, uh, dean uh, jones stanley played tucci, the head bad right? guy yeah what's that stanley tucci uh that's right yeah um and you know before i dive in a little bit i usually give a couple quick facts just to kind of start off so one of those is and i was guessing this re-watching this of course like i said when i watched it i was a kid but when I get older, I, I kind of saw this right away in the main character or the, the dad character. I read that Steve Martin was the first choice to play George Newton. Also, John Candy, Danny DeVito, Bill Murray, Dan Aykroyd, Jeff Goldblum, Rick Moranis, and Robin Williams were later considered for the part. But to me, this was like a Steve Martin part. Like not knowing a whole lot about Charles Grodin as an actor, I was like, I see Steve Martin here. <laughs> I could totally I think skip they, it. I think they wanted a guy who was more, because uh, I, I know John Ritter was in the mix too, I think. Uh, and uh, how it happened is in 91, we started uh, from promote, we started doing preparation with the dogs. We had about, I don't know, 30, 40 dogs on the movie, including Woody, who played the, the homeless guy's dog. And then we had Chris, who played Beethoven. But before that, we did. We got another dog, and we were prepping for John Hughes, and he wanted John Candy. Oh. But John Candy at the time, yeah, John Candy at the time had bought. Uh, he had partial ownership in a Canadian football team. Oh wow! And he, so he's he busy. Didn't, he passed <laughs> on the opportunity, mm-hmm. and when John Hughes couldn't get Candy, he dropped the script and gave it to Ivan Reitman. Wow! And uh, Ivan Reitman. I was always told that it was down to, at the final call, it was down to John Ritter and uh, Charles Grodin. But I hmm. believe that John Ritter was not chosen because the dogs liked him too much. <laughs> that he was he was actually too qualified. Because he was supposed to be a contentious relationship between right. <laughs> uh, him and the dogs. So I think they wanted somebody who was more dry and not quite, didn't quite have such a, a, uh, connection with the dogs initially yeah that makes sense because it does sort of feel like that the whole movie has sort of like a almost like a national lampoon's vacation frustration vibe going on and yeah you know it, charles Grodin was just so perturbed everybody else loved the dog but charles didn't want the dog his <laughs> character didn't want the dog right right it, it, he sees the dog as almost like an obstacle to to, to a, a safe home correct. yeah yeah uh mm. yeah he, he expresses that in the film um, <laughs> yeah. 
So this is a really positive thing, and I'm sure you're going to talk about this, but I read also that great care was, you know, taken to make sure the animals uh, that were acting in the film were not harmed, um, including oh, the trick shot. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sorry. A lot of, oh, yeah. no, you're fine. There was, you know, a lot of trick shots, multiple cuts, a mechanical dog, which I looked for after I read that <laughs> in order to achieve certain scenes. Um, and that's that's mm-hmm. that's really good because not every movie can say that. And that's always really positive. You know, when they we also use the snorkel the cam, which was uh, they, they what they did is they installed on the robotic dog and the, that they used for certain scenes. They they installed a camera on the dog on the robot's head so that it looked down the nose and it was called a snorkel cam oh okay that's what they called it. dog pov <laughs> yeah exactly yeah that's cute um so yeah you mentioned this already but uh that john hughes was involved i guess he's kind of credited as edmund dantes which is a pseudonym for uh the count of monte cristo <laughs> character in that um <laughs> And it's one of the only films that he's written that takes place out of Illinois, which I noticed that, too. I was like, this is this is Pasadena or it, it looks like Pasadena anyway. Well, John, John Hughes picked always when I worked on Dennis the Menace, which was another John Hughes movie I worked on. He filmed in Evanston. He always liked ah. to film in Evanston in Illinois. This time, because because John Hughes didn't end up doing it, that he forfeited the, the script because he couldn't get the actor he wanted. He, and there were some other reasons I'm not really sure of, but I know the biggest contributing factor was not being able to get candy. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it ended up when Ivan Reitman took over, then they filmed it all in LA. So it was all mm-hmm. filmed in LA. Got it. it was got hot. it. I remember how hot it was. <laughs> yeah. It gets hot there. Uh, and this movie's directed by, uh, Brian Levant, which, you know, we actually yep. talked about one of his films, earlier or for christmas uh jingle all the way so <laughs> oh yeah yeah he, he does a lot of comedies yeah well um so this you know you we kind of talked about this a little bit uh before we started recording but you kind of wanted to go a little bit in a different direction because you're more behind the scenes of the film are there like certain scenes or things that you want to talk about in regards to this film first uh well you know we had uh, we prepped uh, initially with the dog we got a St. Bernard, Carl Miller. He was the head trainer on the movie. I worked for him. And also Glenn Garner trained the, the Jack Russell. That Those are the two main characters, Woody, who played the Jack Russell, and then Chris, who eventually ended up playing uh, Beethoven. But we had gotten another uh, St. Bernard when we were prepping for John Hughes. And this dog was a physical specimen. The only problem was that he was dangerous. He had been kept in the backyard, never really was around people much. Oh, no. And I don't know if it was a reminder thing or something that that the dog had recognized in my voice, but he particularly did not like me. Oh, no. And, uh, yeah, and, and Carl, and, of course, being that there was going to be a male well, character working with him, and uh, they, Carl said, well, I don't know if I can use this dog. He's a walking lawsuit. So he put me in a full attack suit, and he had me work with the dog, and each time I... I had him on leash, and each time I'd turn or say anything to the dog, the dog would attack me. Of course, I was protected. But we kept thinking that if, we, if this dog attacked me enough times, we could we could fix it. And, and then he would get along harmoniously with anybody else. But it didn't turn out to be the case. So we had to replace that dog. We returned him to his home. And then we got Chris, who uh, ended up playing the role. But, um, yeah, there were, you know... We, 
the funny thing is, is, you know, tore ladder in the movie and it was an accident and the humane association was there, but there was a slight accident. I remember when the table, remember the scene where the table and chairs uh, with David Duchovny and the other actress, they get oh, drawn, yeah. uh, dragged down the sidewalk. Yeah. Well, on that particular scene, they, they were gauging it from across the street because they had the chairs and the tables on a, uh, like a conveyor. And, and then they had the dog running ahead of it. When they got to the end, the conveyor kept going and the dog stopped because he was received by Glenn on the other side and and the tables and chairs knocked the dog and Glenn over. And then <laughs> uh, you might notice that Chris had a slight limp at certain Aww. parts of the movie. That was because of that incident. And of course, it, it, not thing. that it was, yeah, it was properly supervised. It just wasn't properly executed. Mm, got it. So, yeah, but uh, nobody was, you know, really hurt, but. I always noticed that, you know, that slight limp that he had. But because he was such a big lumbering dog, I don't think anybody really noticed. Yeah, I think for me, like, I don't know much about that breed. Um, Like, I would have almost thought that uh, I know Jack Russell sometimes can be a little bit aggressive, or at least I've heard that. Yeah, they they definitely are. They're high. In my book, I rate them as like a a 10 on the scale of dogs as far as energy. Because yeah. when I was a kid, uh, that show Wishbone came out, and there oh, yeah. was also um, on Frasier, there was a Jack Russell Terrier on that show, Eddie, and that yep. made Jack Russells very popular, but they're not the best dogs for children, I don't think, because they can be aggressive. I think any dog that's, you know, a terrier that's trained to, you know, was originally trained to, like, help with hunting or doing something some kind of job like that that can happen but they were really popular like especially in the 90s because of those two famous dogs oh yeah wishbone used to wear all the costumes and everything i remember yeah they filmed a lot of that i think here in uh i feel like it was in i can't remember what city but it was in like north texas because pbs you know they filmed some stuff here and i remember like Actually, side note, I was even in, uh, I went to a, a school where they filmed like one wishbone scene at during, like at our school. And we got to like be in the background and see wishbone from really far away. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I remember the pumped. trainer. I know the trainer. It was a woman actually who trained uh, that dog. And, and her name was Jackie Martin. And she lived up in, in Acton. So I'm sure she traveled to wherever they, they went with the dog. But it was her dog. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. The only thing I remember, and this is so far away in my memory, like I had to have been like, I don't know, a a young teen, I think, probably. Yeah, I I remember. watched it. Yeah. Yeah. I remember like that seeing Wishbone in person. This was my memory. Of course, this is tainted by the fact that it was so long ago. But I remember (laughs) thinking that Wishbone wasn't as pure white as he looks on the show that he had like little spots. And I thought, Oh, maybe they cover those up or something when, during the show, but up close, he looked like a little bit different. Again, memories are weird. They use a different dog for publicity and they use for the shooting dog. That, Sometimes they'll do that. That's probably it. I was, I just, I remember thinking, Oh, maybe they put like powder in his fur or they paint him or I don't know, but that's all I remember about it. And I always tell everyone that <laughs> that's my brush with fame. Uh, with wishbone yeah i get a lot of people who say that with lassie because they'll say i don't recognize that collie from lassie and i'm saying well that's not one of the lassie dogs that was another dog that they used just for the publicity portion ah that's good to know that's interesting yeah because sometimes they'll be shooting simultaneously and then they'll want to do some publicity on the side and it's like well listen this dog can't be everywhere at once so let's just take this other dog and 
and he looks and it's a double so they look very similar it's just that uh up close you know if you're uh you know paying attention you might notice that they're different yeah though that show was really popular and, and again it just speaks to like in this movie there's a jack russell terrier but i feel like you don't see them as often in film but i didn't know that about uh saint bernard's or saint bernard's do they tend to be aggressive too or is that just that one particular dog had like a rough situation well they're they're der- derived from mastiffs so um i they can be aggressive i know that there's this image of them with uh, the jug of brandy and the saving on the snow and all that stuff but uh, <laughs> you know they can be they're smart but also if they're not uh, properly uh, don't get proper exposure at a young age oh yeah that makes sense it, and every breed is different i myself have two pugs they like everybody but you know it depends <laughs> yeah i love pugs i've trained a lot of pugs <laughs> They're so cute, but they can be so stubborn. <laughs> That's probably yeah. the only thing. They're very, but they're very sweet dogs. Um, but well, that's interesting. You know, yeah. Usually, I, I have heard that you know in a lot of movies that usually there's more than one dog used, and that that makes sense. It's kind of ironic that Carl, who who trained uh, Chris, uh, also trained Cujo. So, uh, you know, a different role. <laughs> and of course, Cujo was a was a totally, you know, different animal altogether. But both St. Bernard's. Yeah, that's interesting. One I lovable know this... and one a killer. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, yeah, I didn't realize Cujo's St. Bernard. That makes sense. Uh, but I remember as a kid, you know, really liking this movie a lot and <clears throat> honestly wanting a St. Bernard because of the film. They just, you know, they're, but they're so big. I was telling my husband last night in a different parts of the movie where the dad's like, you know, getting frustrated when um, the, the dog Pete or leaves all the slobber in his shoes and does all kinds of things. I said, yep, you know, you get a puppy and it's going to be like that for a while. Number one. And then that dog is so big, you know, that's a, that's a big commitment. I feel like more and more these days, people end up getting smaller dogs because they can't handle that level of commitment. Yeah, not only that, but you can have the dog sleep in your bed, which in Beethoven, <laughs> that was kind of a running joke. You know, the dog's way too big to be sleeping in bed, but he kept trying to get in there. No, they, so. they will. I mean, you know, they, they make yes. your bed. It's their bed. You're just kind of, they make room for you, you know. <laughs> yeah, a lot of people will get a dog in my private training practice and they'll say, oh, you know, he's just a little guy right now and he's going to be huge, but what do you think about me having him sleeping in my bed? And then when he gets real big, I won't let him do it anymore. I'm like, well, that's not a good idea. He either sleeps in the bed forever or he doesn't sleep in the bed at all. Exactly. I I try to tell people that like when my, when my dogs jump on them or they get on the couch and they're like, well, can you tell them not to do that? And I'm like, well, you can't tell a dog like sometimes you can get on the couch, you know, like they, they, they don't, it's kind of all or nothing. Yeah. Maybe. And sometimes in my book, I mentioned those words do not exist to a dog. (laughs) Very accurate. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, what what were some of uh, some other scenes that you wanted to, to sort of chat about in regards to the Well, book? I remember uh, Woody had to do a scene near the end where he had to uh, attack Dean Jones in the big oh, uh, yeah. culmination <laughs> of the movie. And, uh, you know, I remember Glenn Garner, who trained pigs for Green Acres years ago, very good trainer. Um, he had this, he was very great at making props. So what he did is he made a prop, it was like a, a stuffed guy in like an army suit 
and it was supposed to be <laughs> Dean Jones. And, and he hung this thing up and he put tennis balls in the groin area of the dummy. And what he did is he got the dog to target the groin by using tennis balls on the dummy. And then what happened is he put Dean Jones in that suit. And, um, and then they had the, you know, the, the tennis balls were inside. And so he, it was basically uh, once he got geared into knowing that the tennis balls were going to be in, in the crotch of either John, Dean Jones or the dummy, you know, all we had to do was pretend we were putting balls in there and the dog would just go for it. So <laughs> very tenacious, you know, as you know, Jack Russell's are tenacious. Getting them yeah. to, to do an attack is not a, you know, out of their range. Right, sure. right. Um, that's funny. Also, oh gosh, now you can hear my dog. <laughs> Sounds like I have an Amazon package. <laughs> yeah. There's a bonus for you guys listening. That's Peaches. She, uh, she's very <laughs> protective of the house and she does not tolerate anyone ringing the doorbell. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I work on that a lot. I mean, I, it's okay to give a warning, but then sometimes it goes on a little too long. Oh, last yeah. night she almost didn't allow us to watch Beethoven. I mean, she gets very amped when she sees other animals at all. And it's really cute at first, but last night we did have to try really hard. Like, we need to start working with her on, like, not attacking the screen. <laughs> yeah. Because she, yeah, she goes nuts. Easier on the <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's like barking and just she gets worked up. She even was crying. She was just I think she feels like I see the dogs. I want to play with them. I want them here. But, you know, they're not. So she gets frustrated. Um, Well, but on the note of um, Dean Jones. So I noticed last night, you know, again, when I was little, I watched this. And I didn't know, you know, he's just like an adult bad guy to me. Um, But now it's like, you know, I kind of view his role as like funnier to me and like not quite so serious, but, um, I was like, Oh, this guy looks so familiar to me. And then I was looking through his IMDb and I'm like, Oh, like so many films, like clear and present danger. And like the ones that stand out to me the most are like the love bug and the, the ugly, the ugly dachshund. That, that's I think why they chose him because he was <laughs> oh. always such a good guy in the, in the Disney yeah. films that they wanted to have a guy who you'd never suspect could be evil <laughs> like him. I know. So I, I was think- like, Oh, go ahead. That was really part of the reasoning. Yeah, last no, I was night, saying, I think that was their motivation in hiring him in the first place. Yeah, that makes total sense. And last night I was thinking, like, when he, you know, I remember as a kid the part where he slaps Beethoven to get him to attack. I yep. remember as a child being just horrified. I mean, I just couldn't think of anything worse than witnessing my pet being assaulted and then, you know, no one believing you. No one believes the, the parents. The dad in particular is like, you know, why, why would this vet lie? Which is a valid point, you know, until we find out who this vet is. It's like, why would he make this up? But she witnesses that whole thing. And I remember that being very intense. And then last night I was trying to I, maybe thinking about this a little too seriously. I was thinking like, now, what would I do in this situation? Like, you know, would, would I notice that it didn't smell like blood and that, you know, <laughs> I was just trying to imagine what I would do in, in the shoes of this family. Probably I would not get in the car and follow him um as the dad does he he kind of puts the family in a little bit of danger <laughs> to get this dog back yeah of course but... <laughs> he does come out being this big time hero too yes so, that's true know. that's true because because that's kind of his that's that's uh george's journey in this movie is that you know he goes from being kind of again another running theme in a lot of like 
80s and 90s family movies that I remember was dads being too busy and like too career focused. And they have this character arc where they realize, oh, it's my family I need to put first. Um, and part of that is he gets to be a big hero in the end, which is heartwarming. Yeah. And I think Bonnie was uh, her, her character. The mother was kind of like, oh, George, I've never seen you so sexy or whatever, something <laughs> yeah, like that. She's like, so she was really like, oh. enjoying his machismo. <laughs> she, yeah, she loved it. Um, I, I read about the two of them, too. You know, Bonnie Hunt does a great job in this movie as well. And uh, I had read that, you know, she's only like 29 in this movie. Um, and yeah. he's like 56. And, you know, the the little fact on IMDb is like nothing's mentioned about the age difference, which I feel like at this time in Hollywood, age differences, especially on screen with parents, that is never addressed, number one. But number two... I didn't really think they looked that far apart in age. I was actually surprised to read that. And maybe some of that is she's got the, you know, 90s well, mom hair They kind of made her too. look a little, <laughs> yeah. I think they made her hair kind of conservative, made her, her hairstyle kind of not 20-ish, a yeah, little more mature. mature. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I think I, they probably did a lot to make Charles look younger too. Yeah, he looked he looked good. Like when I read that, I was like, oh, I thought he was younger here. So, you know. Kudos there. They did a yeah, good job. Well, <laughs> yeah, I mean, they, you know, when you get up in the 30s and 40s, it's like, who cares? I mean, how many how many actors are out there in their 20s playing high school kids? Exactly. You know? Right. Yeah. yeah. And it's like, I also feel like the more that we get on these days, you know, ages aren't really super important anyway. But, yeah. Um. Uh, for me, you know, I was watching this again last night and really, really enjoyed watching it again. Um, it had been a very long time. So it's fun, like, going back and seeing it and seeing how many stars are in this. You mentioned earlier David Duchovny, who I really... Yeah, David Duchovny had... was... Uh, <laughs> and I'm trying to think of the, the actress, but she was on a TV show, and I'm trying to think of what TV show it was. I don't think it was Everybody Loves Raymond or something, something like that. It was a sitcom she used to be on. Right. Oh, okay. Her name escapes me right now. Uh, I think Patricia uh, Heaton. Is that right? Yeah, Patricia yeah. Heaton. Mm-hmm. That's right. She looked yeah. a little bit familiar, but I couldn't place her. I know that there's one of their sons, uh, the one that plays Ted. He was on mm-hmm. like, uh, was it Family Matters or, or not? Not Family Matters. Sorry. Uh, what was it? Let me look. Step by step. That's what I was trying to say. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Because um, was... right away I was like, man, I remember seeing that kid a lot. And so when I read it, he was on Step by Step. I was like, that's that's where I'm remembering him from, for sure. And then, of course, Stanley Tucci, who I feel like maybe him and, and David Duchovny are like the most famous out of this cast <laughs> or still, still yeah. consistently uh, in in stuff. Um, it's wild seeing him that young to me because I feel like I've, I to me, I've only seen Stanley Tucci as he is now, you know, <laughs> so I didn't seeing him as a henchman was like a different experience for me. <laughs> Nicole Tom just had a birthday about a week ago, and she's like 44 or something. And I thought, man, I'm, I'm I feel old because I mean I worked with Leonardo DiCaprio when he was like 14 on the new Lassie, and now I see these guys. You know, I'm, I'm like, well, I guess they age too. It wasn't just me. So. <laughs> well, it's comforting, right? No one's alone. We're all aging. <laughs> we all. Can. Yeah, you know, I always feel like I'm the only one aging, and everybody else is just staying the same. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you mentioned Nicole Tom. That she was another person. As I was watching this with my husband last night, and he was like, "Man, I," he's like, "I recognize her." You know, he's like, "I know she was in, in a bunch of stuff, too." 
Um, and she was kind of a geeky looking girl. At least they yeah. made her out to be. And and of course now she's beautiful. So I, you know, I I'm sure that they purposely made her look more nerdy than she really was. They seem to make all the kids, or at least her and Ted, very nerdy. Like they're getting picked on yeah. at school, and like the boy is not interested in in Reese, and and really the dog helps turn that around for them, <laughs> which is funny. Exactly. Oh, yeah, especially for, uh, yeah, both of them, actually, yeah. Yeah, yeah, she helps, you know, the dog helps her with Mark uh, and and helps right, uh, and Ted. Right, and helps him with, with the bullies. Yeah, standing up to those bullies. <laughs> I think the dog comes to the rescue for both kids, yeah. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, see, the dog's for a her asset. And, uh, the little girl in the pool, right, and then the bullies. Uh, <laughs> in the, yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot Emily in the pool. I did immediately... Even before she fell in, I was like, hey, no one's watching that kid. Um, luckily, Beethoven was there. That's where they used a lot of the, the robot, the, the animatronics in the pool. Oh, really? Okay. And you'll, yeah, you'll notice that, too, because if they, when, they're, when he's got the girl and he's swimming, it, it looks like his hair isn't real hair. I mean, maybe mm. I just don't, I, you know, I, it's just something you don't really train your eye to, you know, I see stuff in movies and. You know, you're just getting into the movie. You don't think about the details. But uh, I know that it looked a little strange the way that the water was beating on the on the robotronic dog. So, not the same as it would with a regular dog, obviously. Got it. Yeah, I noticed also, like, when um, there's that funny scene where the dad thinks that his wife is, like, licking his ear, but it's the dog. <laughs> and and yeah. there's a scene where the dog's, like, in the bed, and it kind of, I can kind of tell it's not the dog for a little bit. <laughs> but it's very subtle. Yeah, that seems to be a popular gag, because when I worked on Dennis the Menace, uh, they did the same thing while her mouth out. The dog was, oh, honey, oh, it's. <laughs> and then it's the dog. You know, they always think it's the wife, but it's the yeah, dog. Yeah, I like how the wife is like, yeah. who are you talking to? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, <laughs> it, it made me laugh even today. Also, I had a question for you. This was actually a question my, my husband had when he, when we were watching it. Um, there's that scene where Beethoven goes down. He, he gets in the house and he turns the TV on. And then when the husband comes downstairs, he runs out of the out of the uh couch like he gets off the couch and he runs away and my husband said that that almost looked to me like it was filmed in reverse because the dog sort of um he just said the way he the dog looked over and the way the dog jumped away it, it almost seemed like that that, that might have been like a movie trick there well i mean all it really was was just uh, uh you know they send him out of the room and I, I'm, I'm trying to recall that. Particular I know that's scene. so specific. Sorry. <laughs> but I believe that they, they, they had one trainer call the dog out of the scene. And then they had another trainer behind Charles who made him look back like, you no good SOB, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. So it was a two trainer shot for sure. Oh, gonna, gotcha. In fact, I think I might have been the one who got to look back. So. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it, you know, luckily my dogs don't do that. You know, they do some things, but they, they're not turning the TV on uh, in the middle of the <laughs> yeah. night. So I'm lucky there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But um, let's see. Well, what what did you kind of want to transition into next? Like, what did you want to, to cover? Um, I'm just, there was something I was going to mention about the, the movie, but... Uh, 
I can't think of what it was. But anyway, uh, it'll probably come to me. Um, yeah, so, you know, and I ended up moving, working on the, the second movie as well, just, just prepping puppies for Beethoven's second. But I always felt like the first movie was, you know, definitely the best. It always seems to go downhill after that. Yeah, and, there's quite a um, few in the franchise I saw. I didn't realize that. Yeah, as a matter of fact, I think I ended up working that dog on an episode of, uh, oh, no, it was another St. Bernard. But I, another time I worked with the St. Bernard, I was working on Jay Leno. And oh. they had a, yeah, they had a, uh, it was like a spoof of a new product they were coming out with, which was a de-drooler, right? <laughs> so I had a, a, the dog bring a tennis ball into Jay Leno. And then Jay Leno put it in the contraption and squeezed out like a whole glass of, of slob, right? <laughs> yeah. And uh, and then I called the dog back out. So all I did was, you know, send the dog in, give the ball to, to Jay and then, you know, and then call the dog back out. So it was all a, it was all trained, but it was just a quick gag and it didn't require any other trainers. But uh, I thought it was a, a pretty funny gag and. You know, I've worked with uh, some other, I've worked with uh, a Mastiff, actually. Oh, wow. A TV, a short-lived TV show that Dudley Moore did back called Daddy's Girls. And he was very particular about the slobber. As a matter of fact, I, part of my job was not only working the dog, but also having a rag available for Dudley Moore to wipe his hands after every time he touched the dog. I feel like that's something you always forget about bigger dogs is they slobber a lot. <laughs> it's something, yeah, yeah, I mean, it's there's no way around it. it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if they've got big lips and, you know, big jowls, they're, they're probably going to have a lot of slime in there. You know, as a matter of fact, you see it gets so hot in L.A. that, you know, sometimes we the dogs didn't want to drink water. So we'd take a washcloth and we'd soak it full of water and then we'd stick it in there. And, and underneath their lip there, and then we just squeeze it out. Aww. So that sometimes we had to force them to drink water because, uh, you know, they they lost so much in the slobber. Yeah. And every time they slobber, that's moisture they won't get back. And uh, and of course, you know, we we had to keep make sure they stayed hydrated because you know a dog will keep working and 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 forget to drink water. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and it's always a little bit different depending on the dogs that we work. You know, and we had so many other dogs. So there was a time in the movie when the dogs were escaping and running out that we had probably 20 to 25 trainers receiving dogs. Oh, uh, yeah, especially at the sure end. That, yeah. you know, we got them all rounded up on the other end. Yeah. Yeah, and they even had stuff that they had eventually cut out of the script where they had the dogs like all running and then all stop at a stoplight. And I'm like, this is never going to happen when these dogs are running <laughs> so fast. There's no way you're going to get them to all stop on a curb because there's a bit of a com- competitive thing going on. Like I'm going to be the first one to the other side, you know? Yeah. That's <laughs> funny. And, and if you recall the final scene in the movie, they say good night. So they say good night. And then they say good night. They saved from the research facility, right? That's right. And, yeah, uh, at the end they have they, all they the dogs. All, yeah, and they used all the real names too. Those were oh really? Names. Those were all the real names of the dogs. Yeah. That's so. Yeah. Cute. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. 
That seems to be a it's running funny, theme too, in dog whenever I watch that too. scene. I, I... Oh, it seems to be a running light now. Oh, it's like that seems to be a running theme in dog movies where it ends with having a lot more dogs. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a movie with Nicolas Cage called Raising Arizona where they have like, you know, 20 dogs running through a shopping mall. So, yeah, it's it, it requires, you know, people think, oh, yeah, these dogs, they just all work together. They don't realize how many trainers actually are required pretty much for every two dogs. We had one trainer. Wow. I, I, I mean, I have to admit, I hadn't thought of that. So that's interesting. Yeah, but, but it me, makes sense. I worked on the movie. There was only three primary trainers on the movie, and that was with Carl, Glenn, and myself. And then other trainers we brought in based on how many dogs we were working that day. So. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, you know, yep. um, it's it's a lot for one person to manage if there's like 20 dogs. <laughs> to, you would definitely want yeah. some Absolutely. And I, I know that I was kind of struggling with that name thing because of my dad. So there's sometimes you look on my IMDb page and you see it's Ardell Weatherwax because as an actor, I was always Ardell Weatherwax because I did some acting in a few things, but it would kind of moonlighted a little bit. But then you'll see all the dogs things that will say credited as Robert Jr. or credited as Robert R. or credited as Bob Jr. So there's so many names I've had to use over the years. I must have, I think, four aliases, you know. Oh, and, and, of course, the reason being is because my dad and my grandfather are so famous that it, it makes me kind of like an afterthought. So that's my, my dilemma. I'm sure that there's a lot of people who read my book that, that's coming out and think that it's probably my dad. They just didn't know. I mean, who is this guy? There's another one. So, <laughs> well, yeah. you know, I will say when you read your father's, you know, like Wikipedia or IMDb, it definitely mentions you <laughs> as, you know, under his. Well, oh, actually, that's my grandfather's mentioning oh, that my your dad, but oh. my dad never mentions me. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, my dad's my dad. I think my dad always had a dream. He used to tell me that, you know, when I die, Lassie dies, blah, blah, blah. A little bit of that stuff. Like. Uh, I'm going to be the last person who works with Lassie. And that was always his thing from day one. But I think he did that as, as kind of like a challenge, like prove to me that you're worthy of working with Lassie. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of times I ended up working for other people because my dad put so much, uh, you know, so much personal stuff into what we were doing that I wasn't trying to compete with my dad. I just wanted to learn from him, you know, and my book tells a lot about my dad and Carl and all these people that I've been influenced by as a trainer and as a person. So it really is kind of a journey. I'm, I'm sure you haven't read the book, but uh, it does talk about a lot of these people that I'm talking about with you. No, but it sounds super interesting. I mean, you know, I when I was younger, I watched a lot of episodes of Lassie. I mean, by the time that I watched it, it was on, you know, uh, Either I think you could watch it on the Disney Channel or maybe or Nick Nickelodeon. At Night. Yeah, yeah, it might have yeah. been Nickelodeon. Um, and in reruns, and I watched a ton of that as well as like Flipper, you know. So I watched a lot of shows that I think uh, predated me, but you know they were in syndication, and so I could still watch them. 
Um, I don't know if I watched a lot of the newer Lassie, but I remember that. And I also remember, wasn't there also a movie, like a newer movie in the 90s? Yeah, there was one. In, there was, there's a couple. My, the last mm. one that our family did was in 95, and that was uh, Best Friends Are Forever. And that was done in Virginia in the Blue Ridge Mountains, mostly. And uh, after that, you know, we didn't uh, do the, the later movies. There was another movie done i believe in 2001 that was done after you were no longer a picture it was a it was done by a company called birds and animals unlimited and one of the trainers one of the headers was, was also mentioned in my book a guy named william briscoe who was working as a freelance trainer in england doing that movie but then they came out with another one about two years ago oh really done by some yeah it was done by a german trainer or something Oh, okay. So yeah, I, I had so, read that like MGM. Yeah, it's Lassie, but it's not us anymore doing it. You know. I see. Yeah, because I had read that um, MGM owned the rights, but then, uh, but then your family obtained them, um, and so for seven. Yeah, because MGM years, owed. owed mm-hmm, yeah, like my grandfather was owed money by MGM. Oh wow! And after they completed the movies in '51, they said, "Well, it was a nice ride, but Lassie's done." So my grandfather did not believe Lassie was done. So um, he said, well, forget about the money you owe me. Just give me the name. And I'm sure that they all went in the back room and laughed, thinking this crazy old guy wants this name. It's worthless. But he, he took it in lieu of what they owed him. And, and then, of course, you know, the rest is history. Yeah, that's wow. I, honestly, that's like sort of ahead of his time in that in that arena, you know, owning the right. To yeah. And again, and you see in movies, too, you'll see my credits, you'll see Carl's, you see everybody's credits in the movie. But in TV, back in those days, they never had credits oh, for really? dog trainers. Oh, that's yeah, messed so, up. <laughs> that's not yeah. good. But you'll notice on Lassie, the biggest credit at the end is my grandfather, because he he was very concerned about, I think sometimes I think that my grandfather cared nothing about the money, as opposed to my dad, who was all about the money. But I feel like Rudd, really just wanted to see his name in lights. That's really yeah. what he cared about. He wanted to be noticed. He wanted to be recognized for his skills. And my grandfather had a sixth grade education. You know, most of the, they all dropped out of school before they even hit junior high school. And, and they all had to learn how to do it, you know, on their own. There was really no wow. schools or anything to, to teach trainers how to train dogs. But, uh, my grandfather was truly a pioneer. Yeah, I mean, there's so many jobs like that, I think, in filmmaking that we don't think about the same way. Like, you know, there's not like, I don't think there's like an Oscar for for training or handling animals on set, but you just think like there probably should be, you know, because it's there like. There used to be. There oh, used there to used be. to be. Okay. Yeah, until 1983, there was an award called the Patsy Awards. And the Patsy Awards, Lassie's won numerous Patsy Awards. My dad won a couple Patsy Awards, one for the odd couple, which is before your time, probably. And also, (laughs) again, I saw it in syndication. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then he also won one for a collie, another collie that was in a movie with John Wayne called uh, Big Jake. Mm -hmm. And uh, my dad won a, a Patsy for that. My grandfather won a Patsy for Hondo, which was another john wayne movie so they didn't have patches when i got in the industry i got in the industry in 86 and i was in the industry until the end of the 90s and uh there were no patsy awards they'd gone out of 
out of style just a few years before I came into the industry. Because I was served for four years in the Navy before I became a movie trainer. Hmm. Well, that's disappointing. They should have, I mean, you know, this year, and it's been like heatedly debated, and I, I tend to fall on the side of, you know, receiving more and, and not taking away things. But, um, you know, like the Oscars, they kind of have limited what they even air like some of the awards, you know, are done off air now and they we don't get to see people accepting them. Uh, it's cut for time. And I'm like, oh, I feel like that's like the one thing you shouldn't be cutting, you know, is recognizing. People well, I feel like they're stuff. doing it to themselves because some of these people talk so long when they get <laughs> yeah, an award they do. and then other people they try to play don't. them off and then they don't. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like Duh, because that guy in front of me talked for 20 minutes. I only get to talk for five. Yeah, that's a good so, point. You know. <laughs> I just, I, I kind of want them to just, we, oh my gosh, I've talked about this to death, but me and, and some other friends think that, you know, they should maybe move that to streaming or something so that they don't cut anyone's time and they're not restrained <laughs> because I just hate the idea of somebody not getting their, their, you know, getting to do their speech and people getting to see it. So, but right. yeah. So hopefully in the future they will revive this, you know, for, for trainers as well. Yeah, that would be nice. Um, so you talked a little bit about the book. Uh, do you want to talk a little bit more about that or, um, yeah. And it also came to me what I was trying to think of before. Oh, good. Do, do you remember the, the trailer I sent you? I think uh, before we did this yes, interview, yes, yes. I sent you a trailer. Do you notice that most of the dogs in that trailer, are all dogs that are trained by my family with the exception of Rin Tin Tin? Oh, wow. No, I didn't. That's cool. Yeah. My grandfather worked with PD and my grandfather worked with Asta and you know we, my great uncle worked with Old Yeller and Toto from The Wizard of Oz was my other great uncle Jack. Wow, and, that's, and that's a Duncan true did. legacy. <laughs> yeah, okay. it is. I mean, it, but it, it kind of tells you it's like, you know, look at all these dogs they're, they're they're comparing Beethoven to, and then here I am working on Beethoven. So it's like we've got weather wax covered across, you know, from nineteen. From the 1920s, from silent films until today, there's been a Weatherwax trainer somewhere. Wow, that's so cool. And I love dogs, so you're talking to a you know movie lover and a dog lover. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, it's a good combination because uh, you know the, I, I feel like that was those were the golden years of uh, dog training. You know, I feel like now with with CGI and animatronics, uh, dogs aren't doing too much. Like, yeah. for example. Um, Call of the Wild. There was a Call of the Wild. Oh, movie yeah, with, yeah. Uh, with Harrison Ford. And my great uncle did the original uh, Call of the Wild. That was Jack Weatherwax. And he didn't use any animatronics. He had a dog doing everything. And I'm wow. I'm thinking that, that back in those days, it was so much harder to do dogs because we didn't have all these contraptions, these ways to, uh, you know, pull the dog out of the scene and use something else. The dog basically did everything. And uh, I just think that it's a lot. People don't realize how much harder it was to make a dog movie back then. And I think that the quality and the authenticity of the dog movie suffers when they use, you know, CGI or animatronics because it always kind of makes it look a little cheesy, you know? Yeah, I skipped that movie because I kind of I did feel kind of weird about it. I was like, I guess it'd be fine maybe if I was a kid, but as an adult, it's. I'm going to notice that he's just talking to a CG dog and I'm going to be thinking, why couldn't they use a real dog? You know, 
I'll, I'll be thinking like, I'd rather see a real dog and we'll connect more with a real dog. But I also wonder, do you think some of that is because I know in the past few years, there've been a couple incidences where there's been some backlash in, um, you know, people feeling like a dog in certain movies was put in a bad situation. I'm thinking of, I wonder, You're I don't know if it was a dog's uh, purpose. A, dog, a dog's yes. purpose. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah and so I wonder purpose. if that scared studios into going like, let's just not use a dog then. No, that you kind of hit it on the head. I think that that's it. They're trying to, uh, you know, get a dog in the movie, but they're trying to keep the trainer out as much as possible because there has been abuse. And I know TMZ came out with that and uh, about the dog swimming and all that stuff and being pushed over the ledge into a raging river. Yeah, that's and clearly not a good idea. No, no, it's not a good idea at all. And I feel like, you know, I'm actually one of the stories I'm writing for the future beyond this training book is I, I have an action adventure story about a dog. And one thing I, I always think about when I'm writing a dog story is I think, can this be done? Can, is this like, mm-hmm. you know, dogs don't fly. They don't jump over 10 foot high chain link fences. There ha- it has to be plausible. And mm-hmm. my grandfather always felt like Lassie would never be doing anything that a dog couldn't really do, like that your dog couldn't do. Right. Like I never so, watched Lassie thinking, oh, my gosh, this dog is in a lot of danger, you know. And most of the stuff that I enjoyed, as far as I know and as far as I could see, I don't have to have those thoughts because I'm not seeing a, an animal in danger. And it's great that people are sensitive to that. But I also feel like studios could, I mean, I almost feel like they're throwing out the baby with the bathwater in like, let's just not use dogs at all. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like there's got to be a middle ground, kind of like you're saying. Well, I think there's also a, a quality drop over the years. I think that there's been some trainers, not, I mean, there's still a lot of good trainers in the industry, don't get me wrong, but the actions of a few, like if they have an experience with a dog and the dog wasn't very well trained and it was very hard to shoot, um, then they might decide next time they're not going to do a dog movie or they don't want to. Maybe this director doesn't want to do a dog movie based on his recent experience. And um, I think that probably plays into a little bit. You know, one, it, you know, one guy does a bad job and then the two other trainers that do a great job don't get the next job because of the job that was done the first time. And that happened with like Homeward Bound because I worked on Homeward Bound uh, 2 in uh, Lost in San Francisco. But the first Homeward bound they did was done and it took a long time to film it it took mm. oh, months and months to get it done so when when they did another homeward bound movie they fired they didn't use the same company and the same thing happened with a dog's purpose after that happened birds and animals unlimited did not get to do the the next movie which was what was the second movie oh um was, is that the one that's out now to... i'm not no sure. that's the dog that's a different one um, the one with Channing Tatum. But it was a, it was a sequel. Yeah, that was Dog. Yeah, but uh, this one was done a couple years ago. But it was done oh, by Dog's a different company. Because, okay. Yeah, there you go. They did not want to uh, use the same company after that TMZ thing came out. Obviously, they wanted to put that behind them and use new people. So, yeah, and it, I can it's, understand them doing that. It's tough because you know after people see that, then they don't want to watch the movie. You know, then they might not see the sequel. Yeah, it's rough. 
And I didn't know that about Homeward Bound. I, I loved Homeward, <laughs> Homeward Bound when I was a kid, too. <laughs> I loved that movie. Yeah, that, that's another movie we did with, uh, you know, multiple dogs and cats. And, and uh, yeah, but it was, you know, it was fun. When I worked on Homeward Bound, too, we had the same kind of thing as in Beethoven. We had, you know, all these dogs getting picked up by the blood red van. And, and then, of course, <laughs> they get liberated at the end of the movie, just like in Beethoven. When I was a kid, I was convinced that, you know, I remember my dad asking me, you know, do you realize in real life, you know, the the dog catcher isn't like an evil person? Because <laughs> in movies, they're always so evil. But in real life, it's like they're just picking strays up off the street and taking them to the shelter. But it was very cemented yeah, it, in my mind from movies that they were evil. <laughs> yeah, it seemed like, you know, Oliver Platt and Stanley Tucci, they were just like bumbling fools, right? They weren't really evil. Yeah, they, they were like were, henchmen. They for a like guy goons. who was evil. Yeah. 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 Oh my yeah. gosh. As an adult, when at that part where they're saying, you know, that they're gonna test bullets using dog skulls, I was just this is horrifying, you know, just <laughs> I was like, Oh my gosh, these are really bad guys. Yeah, like this is a comedy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's dark. But you know. Um <laughs> hey, you it gotta make it compelling. I mean, it wouldn't be a good story if all it was was just, you know, funny, funny and then no no plot. Yeah. yeah, there's got to be something serious, too, that changes uh, the, the dad's mind into being on team Beethoven. So, Yeah, I think the key to making a good dog movie is the dog has to get in danger. If, if yeah. there's no danger for the dog, it's just not a good movie. So. Yeah, we got to see him, you know, go on his hero's journey, too. Yeah, when I was a kid, you know, they'd have these two-parters because Lassie was the first show to have a two-parter. So they'd have this scene where Lassie's going down the, the rapids and it looks like he's going to drown and he can't get out. And, and they say to be continued. Oh, and gosh. I, I used to call my grandfather. And I, say, <laughs> I say, grandpa, he said, is Lassie okay? Because <laughs> you know? I thought, you know, it was really happening in real time because I just saw the dog, you know, a few days ago and he wasn't. Yeah. Sober. He's like, he's not doing uh, but, well uh, for what I'm seeing. Is he okay? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's like, grandpa, go get Lassie. It's like, oh, we did that weeks ago. Don't worry about it. He's fine. Okay, random question. I've talked about this a couple times. There's this dog movie that I liked a lot when I was little um, that's kind of obscure. <laughs> do, do you know of or do you know anyone that worked on the movie? Uh, I think it was called Bingo. Yeah, Bingo. That was Boone Nar who did that. I worked yeah. with Boone Nar myself at one time. He's retired now. Oh, okay. But that was a Aussie mix. I believe it, the dog was actually related to Maui, who was in that show Mad About You with Helen Hunt oh, and uh, cool. Paul Reiser. Okay, yeah, I yeah, do remember so they we, had a dog, yeah. Yeah, they were they were related. And uh, as a matter of fact, you know, we had a big dog. I remember that we had on Homeward Bound that was actually the son of the dog that used to be on Empty Nest. Um, another, you know, there's a lot of dogs that are, you know, they... They have puppies, and then those puppies become bigger stars than their than their uh, their dad or their their mother. That is so interesting. I've never thought about that. That's that, that makes sense though. Um, yeah, being I think Bingo. I remember that, or you know, of course Benji, which they've kind of revived Benji over the years too. There's been there were a lot of dog movies when I was growing up. Yeah, my book mentions a lot about people like Frank and who 
who trained Benji, because Frank Ann used to work for my grandfather back in the old days. He was my grandfather's assistant. So Frank Ann got his start working for my grandfather. And then he went into business for himself after the, after the movies were done. And, uh, you know, he used to do things like Beverly Hillbillies and Petticoat Junction. As a matter of fact, Benji Higgins, the dog that played Benji, was got his start on a TV series called Petticoat Junction. And uh, oh, yeah. when he did the first... Yeah, when they did the first Benji, he did the he did the movie, but he was like twelve years old when he did that wow. first movie. And after the movie, when they went on tour, he died, mm. and they had to, of course, train another dog to do Benji the Hunted, and for the love of Benji, and so you know, uh, many dogs have played these roles. People think, you know, they used to think that Lassie, you know, it was one Lassie that we used <laughs> all those years. Or that there were a hundred lassies, neither of which were true. You know, we had just like a, an actor would have. We had a stunt double and we had a stand-in, mm-hmm. and uh, that's it. Three dogs and a lead yeah. dog. And the lead dogs obviously changed when they got too old to work. We we went to their son, uh, and uh, Lassie, of course, has always been a male, as was Chris on Beethoven and Woody. They were all male dogs. It seems that that there's a lot of female impersonators in the canine movie world <laughs> well you know what's interesting to me about benji just quick question maybe you know the answer to this so benji's whole thing was kind of like that he's like a, a mutt right that he's mixed breed so the fact that there's yep. more than one benji that means you have to find more than one mixed breed dog that kind of looks the same is that right or is he secretly a purebred no he's a he was definitely a mutt but i think what they did is they used uh, some dogs that had different uh, similarities to the, okay. that dog, like they got dogs like a Karen Terrier, for example, or a, some kind of mutt. So they have to basically have to do a search for dogs wow. that look remotely similar to the lead dog. So <laughs> keep in mind that most of the time when we're using a double, they're far away or they're oh, running. Oh, that's true. Mm-hmm. Or they're, so you don't really see the details. They just have a dog. This needs to be a dog that looks like them from a distance most of the time. Right. When you made that comment earlier about wishbone, maybe the wishbone I saw was not the lead wishbone or was not the wishbone that did the press. That had never occurred to me. (laughs) It's funny how in my mind I decided that there was only one wishbone, but that makes so much more sense that there's more than one dog. So I feel like I I learned a lot. Yeah, because they might have been (laughs) shooting wishbone. And then at the same time, they're doing a function in Texas. Right. Hey, we, we need to get this other dog over to Texas. Yeah, I can't remember why they would be here I, again. Like it was such a faraway memory, but and maybe I'm misremembering it in some way. But yeah, okay, that makes sense. So where well, are you exactly? Where are you I, I'm in Dallas. Yeah, I I live in Dallas. Oh, that's funny because I lived near Longview. Oh, okay. Yeah, I know where that is. Yeah, yeah, I'm only a couple <laughs> hours away from you. It's kind of a small world. Yeah, I didn't know that when we, you know, when we first spoke. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm local to, to Texas. Because you yeah, said I was, here, and I thought, oh, she's in Texas, too. I, I for some reason, thought you knew that. <laughs> I just made that up. <laughs> no, I'm like, no. He's I mean, in Texas. He must know I'm in Texas, too. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it seems like everybody's state. either in California or New York, right? Right, right, right. Yeah. and, and you know, I When it comes to these kind of things. Yeah. Even when yeah. I'm talking to guests sometimes, I'm like, well, I'm, you know, 
I'm in Texas, and so what? Yeah, what I mean, I'm telling you about Central Time, and you're on Central Time, so there you go. <laughs> I always, I always double check because <laughs> I hate time zones. It's confusing, but <laughs> um, yeah, especially when we when we do time uh, changes, and certain states don't do it, like Arizona. Right, right. They throw everything off. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Well, um, so, you know, we've talked a little bit about your book. Where, where can we find your book? Where, how, how do we get a whole, a copy of this? Well, um, obviously, uh, you know, my book's been delayed to cope by COVID a few times and then finally came out in January. Okay. Um, it, it was, it was available and it still is available through all the bookstores, Barnes and Noble, Books a Million, um, you name it, Walmart, Target. And Amazon. And of course, the thing that that always kind of perplexed me is my book. It really isn't in the bookstores. I mean, there's some independent bookstores that have my book. And obviously, it's doing quite well on Amazon. And uh, but it's just I haven't seen it in any of the major bookstores. And it's it's I don't know if it's just shelf space. There's so many books coming out that got pushed back like mine. And they don't have any room on the shelves for my book. But uh, it's it's doing, like I say, it's doing well on Amazon, and you press price for it on Amazon. I think it's twenty six ninety nine for the bookstores, and it might be a little. But you can go to Walmart or Target on their website, and you can order the book cheaper than you can order it through the bookstores. And Amazon is offering it for nineteen ninety nine, and I believe that the Kindle on Amazon is sixteen ninety nine. So. And uh, it was cheaper. My book was number one on Kindle, and then they raised the price so that it, it would be more competitive with the ones that were behind it. So now my book is doing better than the Kindle version So, because it's so close in price, you know. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, you yeah. can order it anywhere online. You just can't find it in a bookstore. And if you do, please tell me because I'd love to know what bookstore actually has it, you know. Well, and one more time, that's called uh, Training Your Dog the Weather Wax Way, the Complete Guide to Selecting, Raising, and Caring for Your Canine. Um, I have a I have a friend that uh, has worked a lot with dogs. She was uh, a police officer and then also studied and learned about working with uh, with dogs in the field, like search dogs and stuff like that. So I'm going to have to tell her about this. I bet she'd be interested. Yeah, and, yeah she'll love the book. And not only that, but I think that my book is – uh, more of a psychology book on on dogs, you know, understanding the ways that you can not just train your dog, but also manipulate your dog to do things that you want them to do where it makes it seem like it's something they want to do. Because I <laughs> okay. always feel that like, would be good for my dogs because they yeah, like, don't want to do what I more... want them to do. <laughs> They're not a fan. <laughs> well, you have to use something that is really powerful and that could be, um, you know, a ball, it could be a, you know, any kind of distraction mm-hmm. is what I use. Like if a dog's barking at the door, for example, I'll throw something behind them. Maybe a a chain collar, which people call choke chains. I always hated that term. But a chain collar, you know, is portable. You can put it in your pocket. And it makes noise when it lands. So if I had a dog barking at the door, I'd be behind the dog. I'd know where he's going to go. I know he's going to go to the door. So I'll position myself somewhere behind where he'll end up. And when he's barking... I'll throw the chain behind him or at the door or something where I'm not going to hit him, but it's going to get his attention. And then the dog will stop and see what it was that just landed. Mm-hmm. And then he'll stop for that brief moment, like, whoa, what was that? And then, of course, if you didn't do anything, 
he just go back to barking. But what I do the second he stops barking is I feed them. And then mm-hmm. the food kind of disorients them a little bit. They're like, wow, that thing landed. And then I got paid. And they're not really sure what they got paid for, at least in the beginning. And then they start barking again. You throw the chain. They stop. You pay them again. Give them food. And uh, pretty soon, all you have to do is jingle that distraction. Because the key to the distraction tool is never letting them see where it came from. You might have it in your pocket, but they'll never see you throw it. Huh. So they believe in their mind that it has unlimited range. So pretty soon, once you've established the presence of that distraction tool, you can merely jingle it and they'll stop. Interesting. Because, like, I was yeah, thinking. Yeah, that might well, be helpful to you in the real world, too. Yeah, I was thinking about when you're when you're talking about that, that last night, you know, my husband was trying to tell Peaches, hey, stop it. You know, he was being kind of commanding. No, 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 don't don't scratch the entertainment center. Don't jump up. And she kind of would get so entranced by seeing the dogs on screen. It's like she can't hear us almost because she's too focused on what she's doing. And uh, my other dog, Jake, was like that, too. It's like you could be as loud as you want or sound authoritative. And he really didn't respond to that. Um, he always had to be, like you're saying, distracted. So for her, when he would squeak her toy, she would immediately come back and play with her toy. And so he did that a few times, and, and that did seem yeah. to work. Or I had a dog that used to go in completely insane. For some reason, was the sweetest dog ever to us. We did get her at a shelter, so I think this played a part. Um, but she hated other people. <laughs> she like, hated everyone. And until you got to know her, she just hated everyone and so she would go crazy when she saw other dogs other people and the thing the only thing that worked was every time she'd go crazy I'd stand in front of her so that she couldn't see the other dog or other people and it was like so out of sight out of mind it was shocking that's that's awesome because you're using (laughs) your body as a distraction yeah it's like she uh, I had read just don't let them see what is making them go crazy. Just don't let them see it. So I would just stand in front of her. And I still do that to this day with both dogs. If they start going crazy, I get in front of them. I put my hand, you know, over their eyes or, or have them look at me or something. And it's like truly out of sight, out of mind. A second later, they forget about it. And it's so much easier than, you know, I mean, it's terrible to be like screaming at your dog, right? So it's like, you know, you don't want to do that anyway. But it doesn't work. So I don't know that, what you're saying. Yeah, is, well, I don't know how you do it because most of the time when you get in front of a dog, they look around your leg and look around your body. So but what I a lot of times will do is I'll kind of shove them with my leg because, you know, there's a lot of emotion attached to whenever you use your hands. So if you touch a dog with your hands, you're actually telling them you approve. A lot of people do that. They'll try to smother their dog with their hands or try to comfort them and tell them, it's okay, don't worry about that dog, it's not a big deal. (laughs) And then their voice changes, right? So the dog knows what's going on. Your voice changed, and you're acting all nervous. So apparently, whatever I'm doing here is really paying off for me, because it's getting you all frazzled. Oh, that's a good point. And I think that, yeah, so if, if the dog's getting a reaction from you for something that they're doing that's bad, that's the payoff. What I try to do is I try to Play down all the bad things, you know, give them, throw the distraction tool, give them a goodie and then move on. I'm not going to like dwell on, I told you, don't not bark at that door. Don't do that because you're giving the dog exactly what they want. You're giving them attention. Yeah. That maybe they're they learning getting before. that it works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That, 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 and also like they can't tell the difference. I mean, they don't 
speak our language, you know, so they're not things that are obvious to us are not obvious to them. Like I, I even noticed, you know, like, let's say the dog is lunging and I'm trying to grab her or, you know, I'm like, no, get down. And so you kind of put your hand up, like, no, get down. It's like to us, if somebody did that to us, we'd be like, oh, so that person wants me to stop because they're putting their hands up and they're saying no. But to a dog, it's like they they can't tell, like touching them in any way is probably like petting them, you know, they think, oh, this is going well, like you said. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, like, exactly. It's like I'm barking and then my dad's touching me with his hands. So he must like the fact I'm barking. Yeah. But if yeah. you're using your leg, there's no emotional, there's no emotional uh, connotation to what you're doing. So I'll typically just shove their rear end a little bit with my foot and then they'll look at me like, what are you doing? And I'll drop a goodie down to them. So every time they stop, there's that little moment of opportunity, which I call the bridge in my book. And that's that's the moment when you reward them for good behavior. And that good behavior may only last for a moment initially. And then over time, that good behavior lasts longer and longer and longer until you don't have to even worry about it anymore. Yeah, I know for, for our dogs, you know, I one thing to know about pugs or that I've learned about them is that they're extremely motivated by food, like more than any other dog I've had they think about food 24 hours a day uh but it's also helpful because you you know the treats I mean it really works they they they're very focused on that so it you know in some ways they can seem um harder to work with because I I think they get characterized sometimes as stubborn because they kind of like I don't know. I've had other dogs that like it felt like they they right away were like, okay, I see what you want. I'm going to do that. But with pugs, they kind of don't do that. But they are very motivated by food, <laughs> so that works. So really then, well. <laughs> obviously, you know that food's going to be a going to be a huge uh, opportunity for them. So yeah, we want to like, make sure that the food comes at times. It doesn't come for free. Yeah, and it comes, only comes like when they're making some kind of progress. Right? Yeah. Yeah, now, I need to work on that feed sometimes. Their dogs, they, some, a lot of people feed their dogs for being cute and doing things that they didn't, it didn't require any effort on their part. Uh, and then, you know, when, then when they do something truly meaningful, they don't say anything. And then the dog begins to realize that, hey, when I do something right, nobody says anything to me. And then when Aww. I do something wrong, everybody's talking to me. Oh, so that's interesting. That's kind of it's a payoff for them. And, and we don't even realize we're giving them something. We're, we're giving them an incentive to continue their bad behavior. Mm, yeah. I, I've always heard that when you train a dog, you really got to train the trainer. <laughs> you got to train the, the pet oh, yeah. owner. So that makes a lot of sense. Cause I think a lot of that's not necessarily yeah, exactly. intuitive. I, yeah. My book, my favorite part of the book is something called talk, touch and tone, which I call T T and T, which is basically you know, the things we do that send the wrong message to our dogs. If we're talking in a high voice or a low voice, typically when you're doing, when a dog's doing less, like stay or heal, you want to use a very low voice because you want them to continue doing what they're doing. You don't want to use a voice that would distract them. And they're already doing it right, so you don't need to motivate them. But if you're calling a dog, you want to use the high voice. You want to use that high, happy voice all the way until the dog is all the way to you. And then, um, you know, anything else, like if you're using a happy voice for something like stay, they're going to break their stay. You know, you have to you have to use your voice according to what it calls for. If you want a dog to do less, 
then you use less voice. If you want a dog to do more or, or, or instill some drive into what they're doing, then you're going to use voice. So your voice is kind of like the engine that gets your dog to go fast. But you don't want to use that high energetic voice when you're wanting the dog to do less, which is either stay or walk easy on a leash. Mm-hmm. So voice does a lot to that. And then touch, we already talked about. And then, of course, the tone. Because, you know, so many people will, you know, go baby talk their dog. Yeah. And, oh, it's okay. Don't worry. He's not going to hurt you. And then all that time they're doing it. And the dog's looking at you thinking, why are you talking that way? This <laughs> must be this must be something that you like. Yeah, I never thought about changed. that. Yeah, so they're, they're reading. They're not sure what to make of the situation. Like initially when they see a dog, they're like, should I bark? What should I do? But a lot of times what we do is we give them the impetus to bark because we're like already saying something before the dog even did anything wrong. Yeah, or acting tense. So what tense, we're doing is we're I actually they, asking they, them to. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're asking them to do the wrong thing by reacting to it ourselves. That makes so much sense. And I, I did feel like, I, I, you know, obviously I made some mistakes <laughs> with the previous dog, but I, uh, you know, would get so tense and nervous when people walked up because I was anticipating her reaction and she probably read that as, oh no, mama's scared. Um, I'm scared too. I'm going to go crazy now. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Because so I was now like they're thinking I got to protect my mom or my mom's got to protect me. Yeah. Yeah. And she was a very anxious dog. Like the whole time we had her, when, when we first picked her up, actually I remember them telling us like, don't adopt her. She might bite you, which she never did. Uh, but she was a very anxious dog. And so that probably didn't help. And I'm an anxious person. Maybe we were a bad combination. <laughs> so, yeah, but, well, if they, if, they, if they go high, we go low. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. If they go low, we go high. You know? Okay. Well, I'm going to have to remember that. I need this book then. <laughs> well, Yeah, uh, you'll like it because I talk a little bit about the teeter-totter and about keeping that balance, you know. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. And, and if, you know, if a dog is upset with certain things, we want to desensitize them to it. So, for example, that door thing you're doing, what I typically do is I go outside and I become the guy who knocks on the door and I give them the, the distraction tool to use inside the house. Oh, okay. A lot of times it's, and so that way I'm kind of like the guinea pig because the first time I get there uh, on the first appointment, I'll normally, you know, do that because a lot of people, that's the only issue they have, barking or some kind of aggression or something. So I found that um, by being the guinea pig myself, they get the idea of how to use the distraction tool. And then I can just listen through the door and, and be like, oh, look, I knocked on the door and I heard the chain jingle, but the dog's not barking. So mm. what's happening is people inside are feeding the dog because they're quiet, which is what I told them to do. And they're only using the chain if the dog barks. So huh. I kind of, you know, I can gauge it from outside the door. It's like, oh, the barking stopped. I'll walk in. So the dog's going to learn in, in, in that way that they want the person to come to the door. I mean, they do, but it's kind of like the roller coaster ride. It's like they kind of anticipate it, but at the same time, they're kind of scared. Yeah. So you, you, you want to, uh, you know, you don't want to give them any reason to, to become excited, you know. Yeah, that makes so much sense. I've never thought about that. I honestly, I just let her do it because I thought, oh, she's a dog, dogs bark. You know, and I kind of was like, no, it's okay if she does that. But I never thought about, you know, ways to 
to kind of de-escalate the situation. Because there have been times where I'm on a, I mean, everyone understands these days, but you're like on an important Zoom call or something, and she's going absolutely ballistic because somebody's at the door. Uh, so that that's happens all know. the time on Dr. Laura Schlesinger has the show. She still does. She's done for 40 years. She endorsed my book on Amazon. And uh, she's a radio psychologist. And sometimes I'll be listening to her show, and she does it from her home. And in the middle of the show, callers on and everything, and then her dogs start barking. Yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, well, yeah, I got somebody over here. And, but she just kind of plays it off and goes back to what she's doing. Um, but, yeah, it could be a little problematic when you're on a call and your dog <laughs> starts barking. You know? Or I've, there are certain times of day I'm like, it's you know this time of the day. They eat at that time. I'm not going to. I'm going to have to put myself on mute because <laughs> they, yeah, they're exactly. very, well, that's another thing about them is they're super vocal when it's dinner time. They do like a little song and dance and <laughs> they, they get very amped. Like I said, that. Well, you must like it or they wouldn't continue doing it. You <laughs> must find it entertaining. Because a lot of times the dog, it's like, wow, I'm not getting the feedback I want. I guess I'll stop doing this. Well, like, and, if, and you, like, if you smile and go, oh, that's so cute. You know? <laughs> That's true. Also, one of my dogs is now deaf, and so I don't think he knows he's so loud, <laughs> but he definitely, no. uh, he's gotten louder now that he's deaf, so we kind of don't really, you know, we don't stop him, because we're like, ah, oh, he's, he's old. He, he's just, he's excited about his dinner. We'll let him have this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, when they get older, yeah, they definitely, the, the rules kind of go out the window. Um, yeah. You know, my grandfather used to work Lassie hard during those years that they worked on the show, obviously with love, but they worked long hours. And then when they got, when they retired, which was typically somewhere between eight to 10 years old, um, my dad, my grandfather would say, Oh, he's retiring to the food dish. And uh, that meant that all he has to do now, he doesn't have to work. All he has to do is play with a ball, wake up, eat. And that's it. That's, that's what Lassie cute. has to do. Cause he's the retired <laughs> sweet. one. That's very yeah, sweet. So, so they, they definitely were treated like kings, especially the ones that, you know, he'd call, he'd call him the old man. He's like, there was Lassie and there was the old man. The old man, don't ask him to do anything. He's retired. Uh, you know, this is the new Lassie now. And it was just a cycle that went on and on. There was always a working Lassie and an old man, which is typically the retired Lassie. And and they, they worked on a different program, you know. Mm, that's very interesting. Well, I feel like I learned a lot today. Uh, so, Robert, where where can people find you? I know you plugged your book. Is there anywhere else that you wanted to uh, to plug? Um, well, I have a couple uh, pages on Facebook. Uh, one's under Weatherwax Dog Training, which is um, the name of my company. I also have a Thumbtack page, um, also under Robert Weatherwax as a dog trainer and behaviorist. And uh, I do have a you know, I haven't set up a website uh, as of yet because I'm kind of waiting until I get my second book. Because as as a dog trainer, I've found in the past that when I used to give out my card at the park or whatever, my business card or something, they'd lose the card. And then they'd call my dad's website, the people who run his website, because the company is Weatherwax Trained Dogs. Oh, so okay. Weatherwax Good distinction. He's Weatherwax. Yeah. So what I did is I said, you know, I'm not going to do a website for dog training, at least not now, you know, because it's going to create too much confusion. So I use Thumbtack for my dog training and, and of course, networking here locally. And then, uh, you know, 
uh, I use Facebook and Instagram to get my name out because I have a page on Instagram, R. Riddell Weatherwax. And I have, uh, uh, you know, three pages, two public pages on uh, two of them under Robert and the other one under Weatherwax uh, Dog Training. And uh, so that's pretty much how I've been doing it. And uh, but, you know, it's a work in progress. I, I, the hardest part of doing a book is promoting it because the writing part would, came pretty easy for me. But, you know, getting everybody to know about it is a little bit harder. Understandable. Well, thank you so much for, you know, taking some time out of your day to, to be on the show and to talk about, you know, your career and what you what you love, your book and, and also a great movie. Well, thank you. And you'll see all you see a reference on the book to Beethoven, uh, as well as a lot of the things that my family has, has done. And uh, you'll also get a nice little dose of movie history when uh, you open the book, because the first two chapters, the introduction in the first chapter, really talk about me and my background and how I came to where I am as a dog trainer uh, as in my journey. But my whole journey is throughout the book. I mean, there's a lot of people that I I reference my mentors, you know, I learned this from him and I learned this from him. So a lot of the stuff in the book, I give a lot of the credit to other people. So I, I'm, and that's all, I'm okay with that because I feel like everyone who touches us changes us just a little bit, right? For sure. And, and by working with all these trainers, it made me a better trainer, working with my dad, working with Carl, working with Boone, all these people they made a mark on me and it made me a better trainer. And uh, I, I feel like the best advice I can give people who want to become a dog trainer, whether it's for film or privately, is to watch other trainers train. That's what I did. I watched them and I watched them and I watched them. You know, you can learn stuff in school, you can take classes, but really you just got to watch somebody who knows how to do it. And that's how you learn. Mm. Very yeah, so cool. there's a lot of lot of that mentioned in my book. So you not only know what I know, but you know how I knew it, how I, I came to know it. And I, and I wanted to make sure that everybody in the book didn't have to ask any questions, that pretty much every question had been answered before they even thought of it. Yeah, So that makes a lot and, of sense. Yeah, because that way, you know, it's like I wanted this book to be kind of a Bible. I, I'm hoping that it will be a Bible. Obviously, Caesar's books are you know, kind of like, you know, the, the hottest thing around. But I wanted this book to be a book that people would look at for years and years and years, because I don't believe that um, it'll ever be out of date, even though you know, a lot of people use shock colors and things today, use different tools. But I still believe in the old fashioned, humane way of training. And that's, uh, that's all I've ever known. Yeah. Well, I, I advocate that as well. <laughs> yeah. I prefer that yeah, as well. Yeah, because I, I um, think people want that. And maybe in the old days, they didn't care so much about how the animals were treated, but I think that's very important today. Yes, 100%. They're family, you know. A lot of people view yeah. pets as family, so it's very important. Exactly. Well, thank you again, and hopefully I'll have you back soon. Maybe we can talk about another movie you worked on or, you know, yeah, something whatever, along those lines. Yeah, whatever you want to. I'd be glad to. If you ever have a dog movie come up on your page, somebody asks about it or something, let me know and I'll let you know if I 
I have some some dirt on it. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, thank <laughs> you so unquote. much. <laughs>